Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Grant. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Uh, give us a call, uh, 208-991-4783, and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. Well, this episode is brought to you by the support of our listeners. Thank you so much for your support. And I want to thank a couple of people who have uh, sent along donations, part of our listeners' support campaign, Susan and Lori. Well, thanks so much uh, for your support. And uh, even though our listener support campaign is over, uh, we still, for all donations of $7 or more, we will give access to our premium site. All right, well, now it's time for uh, today's episode of Sherlock Holmes, The Adventure of London Tower. Now, uh, don't go away after the show. I found a pretty fun article uh, ties into Sherlock Holmes, and we'll discuss it a little bit, but here now is The Adventure of London Tower. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's immortal character, the world's most famous detective... Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. This week's story, The Adventure of London Tower. Holmes, the official police have been swarming through the Tower of London here for two days. And they found nothing. That is because they've met their match, Watson. The thief who engineered this extraordinary crime is a man worthy of my own metal. Yes, but where is he? How did he escape from the tower? He didn't, Watson. Oh, but wait, that's absurd, Holmes. He, he can't still be here. Can't he, Watson? Listen to that. Holmes, the killer. He is here and he's struck again. Yes, quick. Down these stairs. After him. <laughs> We're at the door of Dr. John Watson's study, and we're about to hear another of his adventures with the fabulous Sherlock Holmes. Well, good evening, Mr. Harris. <laughs> good evening, Dr. Watson. Hard at work on your memoirs, as usual, I see. Well, which one is it this time? Well, tonight, Mr. Harris, I'm able to reveal for the first time an extraordinary adventure, the details of which for many years were shrouded in official secrecy. It is only recently, and by dint of constant appeal to Scotland Yard and Downing Street itself, that I was given permission, finally, to reveal the facts of this case. Well, now you've stirred my curiosity, Dr. Watson. What, just what is this story called? I call it The Adventure of London Tower, and I promise you an interesting evening. But now, Mr. Harris, I know you have an interesting story to give us on Clippercraft clothes. Interesting indeed, Dr. Watson, and, uh, <clears throat> madam, I'm, I'm about to tell our listeners about sensational values in men's clothing. Well, Mr. I... Harris... 
My husband says that a really good suit costs a small fortune. Well, obviously, your husband hasn't heard about those luxurious suits that bear the famous Clippercraft label and cost only $40 and $45. Not really. Mm-hmm. And what's more, even the superb worsted suits with the famous Clippercraft label cost only $45. I don't mean to be inquisitive, but... Oh, you want to know how Clippercraft does it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, more than 1,200 fine independent stores from coast to coast concentrate their immense purchasing power for fabulous savings in production and distribution. Naturally, those savings are passed down to you. Yes, but I have to be convinced. Well, you can convince yourself just by comparing Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now, Dr. Watson, what about this adventure of London Tower? Well, Mr. Harris, it was one of those cases which, if Holmes had not lived to solve it, might have dealt a shattering blow to the empire itself. Holmes and I first became aware of an extraordinary crisis when we were roused from our beds early one morning by a personage no less than the Prime Minister himself, Lord Bellinger. But the chain of events had already started the afternoon before when a beef-eater guide named Wilkes led a party of sightseers through the Wakefield Tower, which, as you know, is one of the many towers which go to make up that great conglomeration of buildings called the Tower of London. And there you've seen them, ladies and gentlemen. The fabulous crown jewels worth five million pounds. The Imperial State Crown, the Queen's Consort Crown, the Anointing Spoon, the King's Scepter with the Star of Africa, largest cut diamond in the world, the uncut ruby in the crown, given to the Black Prince by Pedro the Cruel, and worn by Henry at Agincourt. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we'll move on to the White Tower. Now, on our way, we'll pass the outer ward, the Yeoman Jailer's house, and... Uh, oh, uh, one moment, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I seem to have a straggler back there in the treasure room. Oh, beg pardon, sir. Uh, oh, what is it, Guide? Why, uh, what are you doing back here? Why haven't you come along with the others? Oh, just admiring the crown jewels here under this iron-barred case. That's as maybe, sir. But we can't allow any of the sightseers to lag behind. Not here, anyhow. <laughs> uh, rules, you know. Yes, of course. I quite understand, Guide. It's just that I cannot take my eyes from these jewels. Look at them shine. The symbols of empire. The pride of kings and the joy of queens. They're beautiful. Beautiful. Come in. Yeoman Albert Hodgkins of the Tower Guard reporting, Major. Oh, yes, Hodgkins. At ease. Yes. Hodgkins, Major of London Tower and Chief Constable, I seem to be having trouble with my yeoman warders lately. Let me see. You stand watch over the crown jewels with Yeoman Wilson, do you know? Yes. Quite. But it seems that Wilson is ill and confined to his quarters. I shall therefore assign another man to stand guard with you. And who will that be, Major Markham? A new man to the Yeoman of the Guard, Hodgkins. His name is Digby. And he comes to us with an excellent military record. He'll report directly to you at the treasure room tonight. Very good, sir. And, uh, Hodgkins, one more thing. Yes, Major? This man Digby was shot up a bit in the Afghan war. They did some rather crude surgery to his face. 
I'm counting on you to exhibit no particular reaction. Do you understand? Of course, Major. Very good. That'll be all, Hodgson. So these are the crown jewels, eh, Hodgkins? That's them, all right, Digby. Blimey. I was in his Majesty's service a long time, but I never stood a watch like this. Now, what's this here crown? That's Sir Edward's crown, made for the coronation of Charles II. And this big diamond? Oh, that's the Koh-i-Noor diamond. Used to belong to the Raja of Lahore, that did. They're going to bring it to Windsor Castle. Oh, are they, Hodgkin? I said they were, didn't I? That's where you're wrong. I... What do you mean? This Hodgkin's... No! No! Dr. Watson, you will forgive me if I've interrupted your slumber in the dead of night like this, but the magnitude of this crime, the immediate need of investigation... Quite, Lord Bellinger. Dr. Watson and I are at your service. Well, Your Lordship, Holmes and I never expected a personal visit of the Prime Minister of England to our humble quarters here at Baker Street. Yes, yes, Dr. Watson. In the ordinary course of events, I should have summoned you to Downing Street, but there is no time to waste. There is a terrible urgency to this whole fantastic affair. Oh, I should say so. Crown jewels stolen from the Tower of London, Tower Guard murdered. By Jove, what cheek. No one's ever tried that before. On the contrary, Watson, they have. In the reign of Charles II, an Irishman named Thomas Blood purloined the jewels and almost succeeded in getting them out of London before he was apprehended. But uh, enough of that. Lord Bellinger, a question or two, if you please. Yes, Mr. Holmes? Is the government yet aware of this loss? Only the highest circles. The royal family has been notified and the inner cabinet. We are striving to keep the affair a secret as long as possible. You must understand why. Quite. Well, the crown jewels are priceless. They are indeed, Dr. Watson, and more than in just a material sense. Indeed, they are the symbols of empire. They hold our far-flung dominions and colonies together. I need not tell you the shattering impact of this news, both at home and abroad. Mr. Holmes. Yes, Lord Bellinger. I beg of you. Indeed, I plead with you to lend your great talents to this affair. If your genius has ever burned brightly, let it burn now. The crown jewels must be recovered at any cost. You may rest assured, sir, that we shall leave no stone unturned. Now then, as I understand it, the official police have been notified. Yes, Scotland Yard was notified immediately and threw a cordon around the whole tower. The tower wardens have locked all gates and entries. No one can enter and no one can leave. All gates have been sealed. Good. I might add that all personnel has been sworn to secrecy so as not to foment public unrest. I see. Watson? Yes, Holmes? We'd better get dressed and be off to the Tower of London at once. So you're Overbury, the Chief Warder. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Major Markham, the Chief Constable, asked me to conduct Dr. Watson and yourself to the Treasure Room the moment you arrive. Nothing's been disturbed, Overbury? No, Dr. Watson, nothing. We left the corpse of poor Hodgkins just as it was. Ah, oh. oh, here we are. Holmes, this poor chap was stabbed. Yes, Watson. The blade was driven home by a powerful blow. Pierced the hot wall. Yes, true, Watson, true. But at the moment, I'm more interested in this smashed display case. Noked away one of the bars, a file through and bent back. Hmm. Interesting. What's interesting, sir? The thief, if I recall the articles exhibited here, took an amazingly large number of these valuables. 
He must have been difficult to hide and bulky to carry. Overbread? Yes, Mr. Holmes. What time this morning did you discover the theft? Why, about four o'clock, sir. What did you do after that? I immediately ordered the alarm and notified Major Markham. He was just finishing his bath. Bath? Hmm. Well, Watson, there's nothing more to be seen here. Uh, now then, Overbury. Yes, sir. Be good enough to take us to the Chief Constable, Major Markham. Yes, sir. Come with me, gentlemen. The Major is occupying temporary quarters just over the water gate. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, we're at our wit's end here at the tower. It's incredible, gentlemen, incredible that a thief could loot the crown jewels and escape from the tower as pretty as you please. What makes you think he escaped, Major Markham? Oh, come now, Holmes. You don't think the beggar's still hiding somewhere in the tower area with half of Scotland Yard and all the garrison swarming about the premises? My dear Watson, I prefer to remain sceptical until I have all the facts at hand. The tower embraces a large area. True, Mr. Holmes, true. But I assure you, we've searched every nook and corner of the tower area. We've gone through the White Tower, the Bloody Tower, the Beecham, and Wakefield Tower, where the treasure room itself is located. And not a sign of the thief. Seems to me we must resign ourselves to the fact that the burglar may be miles away by now, Holmes. Yes, perhaps, Watson, perhaps. Major Markham, a question. Yes, Mr. Holmes. It's obvious that this new yeoman guard you employed, this man Digby, is responsible for this fantastic crime. Undoubtedly. I presume you examined his credentials before you took him on. Certainly. They seem quite in order. Good military record and honorable discharge. Forged, no doubt. No doubt. However, we do have a clue. Indeed? What clue? The man's face. It was bloated, blotched, kind of dead chalk white and puffy in appearance. Indeed, I found it very unpleasant to look at. Well, Joe Holmes, if we ever come across the beggar, he should be easy to identify. To be sure, Watson, if we ever come across him. This vandal is a man of some parts, my dear fellow. He executes the most fabulous crime of a century, vanishes into thin air... Disappears through stone masonry, so to speak, and all without a trace. Major Markham. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I should like to question the tower guides at once. Now then, Wilkes, your duty is to take sightseers through the treasure room in Wakefield Tower. Yes, Miss Holmes. And I might say that I noticed one mighty suspicious bloke among the crowd yesterday afternoon. Indeed? What do you mean, Wilkes? Well, Dr. Watson, this here gentleman was loitering around the crown jewels. I had to go back and get him to move on. The fellow couldn't tear himself away. But there was something about him, a, a look about him. What kind of look? Well, he had a high, bald forehead and a big, thin nose and a thin face, like a knife almost. And a big, drooping moustache. Wilkes, one moment. This man's eyes, what colour were they? Oh, Holmes, what the devil... Please, Watson. Try to think, Wilkes. What colour were this man's eyes? Why, they were blue, Mr. Holmes. And the eyelids drooped a little. Aha, uh -huh. Watson, it's he. I'm sure of it. Dash it all, Holmes, who? I prefer not to mention his name until I'm sure beyond all reasonable doubt. But he's certainly capable of a fantastic plot like this, and the high stakes are much to his liking. Watson... If this man is indeed our quarry, this genius of crime, it'll take a near miracle to recover those crown jewels and restore them to their rightful place. Well, Dr. Watson, so far it's been some adventure. Yes, Mr. Harris. I consider it unique among my memoirs. Yes, unique. Say, you've given me just the word I need when it comes to clipper-crap clothes, Dr. Watson. 
Now, getting back to your husband, madam. Yes, I've got to be getting back to him, but... Well, how do we distinguish a genuine clipper craft? Well, how do you determine that silver is sterling? By the mark of sterling, of course. No suit or coat is a genuine clipper craft unless it bears the renowned clipper craft label. That clipper craft label is your proof of quality and value. But what about clipper craft coats, Mr. Harris? Ah, truly expensive looking clipper craft top coats and overcoats are the sensation of the nation at only forty to forty seven fifty. And speaking of sensations, just wait till your husband sees Clippercraft handsome new zipper lining top coats. Where can we shop for these wonderful Clippercraft clothes? In your very own community at the friendly independent store that sells Clippercraft clothes. Well, if they look as good as you make them sound. Uh-huh, they really do. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes bearing the Clippercraft label. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits, top coats, and overcoats. In Manhattan, John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. And now, Dr. Watson, you, you were relating to us the adventure of London Tower. Yes, Mr. Harris, I was. As Holmes continued to question the beefeater guide sharply, I saw that Holmes's face was like a mask, his gray eyes narrowed, and I knew he was straining every one of his brilliant faculties to trap and finally bring to heel the mysterious and formidable criminal of London Tower. Finally... As Holmes and I were ascending the steps between the bloody tower and the guardhouse, Holmes said, Watson, it's my considered opinion after a careful examination of the facts that the crown jewels are still somewhere here in the tower. What? Precisely. And I'm positive that the thief is still in the tower as well. Well, Holmes, for once I must disagree with you. Why, the official police have been swarming through the whole tower area for days. True. But even if they find the thief, they'll never recognize him. Oh, dash it, Holmes. What are you driving at? The chief constable of the tower, Major Markham, clearly identified the bogus garden killer Digby as having a bloated, puffy, white face. Quite. But it's the thin-faced man with the cold blue eyes, the tourist with the drooping moustache, who's the key to this extraordinary affair. Oh, perhaps, perhaps, Holmes. At this point, my dear Holmes, I'm thoroughly confused. As to the jewels themselves, you said they're still in the tower. And with good reason, Watson. You observed that several of the heavy pieces, crowns, scepters, maces, and so forth, were missing from the glass display case. Yes, but what of it? The thief would need a large bag, indeed a sack, to carry those bulky items. It's doubtful whether he could have slipped by the outer garrison guard without being examined. Holmes, what was that? Just a minute, Watson. Listen. Ah! Holmes, a scream. It came from the armory room. Someone's running Quick, now. Watson, the killer. He struck again. Chief Water Overbury. Yes. He's dead. Stabbed through the body. Yes, quite. But note this suit of armor. It's been tipped from its standing position in the wall and fallen to the stone floor. That was the metallic sound we heard. But I don't understand. Uh-huh. What is it, Holmes? What are you picking up from the floor? Observe, Watson. Whether well, it's a diamond. Exactly. 
It broke off from one of the crown pieces, no doubt, when this suit of armor crashed to the floor. Then how the thief concealed the crown jewels in this hollow suit of armor? Precisely. It's obvious that he was surprised in the act of recovering his loot by the chief warder here. Then the crown jewels are still in the tower, Holmes. The garrison is guarding every gate and entrance. Quite. So the... Our man has a very real problem of getting the valuables out of the tower. And therein, Watson, lies our hope of success. Holmes, should we rouse the tower garrison? The killer was here just a moment ago. No, my dear fellow, it'd be quite useless. The tower's a very large place, and if I know our man, he'll be much too clever to leave himself exposed for very long. Come, Watson. Where to, Holmes? We had better notify the chief constable of this new tragedy. <laughs> Major Markham doesn't seem to be in her. Doors ajar? In that case, suppose we go in and wait. Rather an impressive view from this barred window here, don't you think, Watson? Yes, Holmes. We seem to be just above the outer wall. And the River Thames just beyond the wall. I must say, however, I find this panorama rather depressing. These Grey towers, Watson, have hidden many a shriek of torture. Many a royal prisoner has languished in its dungeons. Many others came through the traitor's gate and thence to the headsman's axe. Hello, what's this? Holmes, what are you... Watson, note the bars on this window. Here, near the base. Well, they've been partially filed through. Precisely, and for a very good reason. It might be well to make a detailed study of this room while... Uh-huh. What is it, Holmes? Look, Watson, observe. On this washbasin... Oh, dash it, Holmes. I, I don't see anything. Don't you, Watson? Use your eyes. Here is a tiny globule of paraffin, not much larger than the head of a pin. Paraffin? Quite. Well, what of it? Everything, Watson, everything. This tiny globule of paraffin is the hinge of this entire case. It clarifies the riddle of the bogus guard, Digby. Holmes, what the devil are you talking obvious, about? Obvious, my dear fellow, obvious. Good I... evening, gentlemen. Oh, uh, Major Markham, we're just waiting for you. Major, I trust that you are aware that your chief warder, Overbury, has just been murdered. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I am. One of my men found his body in the armory room. We are thoroughly combing the various towers at this moment, and we've doubled the guard at all gates and entrances. Excellent, Major, excellent. But you must go even further than that. The crown jewels are still somewhere in London Tower. What? You're sure of that, Mr. Holmes? I am indeed. The killer had hidden his loot in a suit of armor in the armory room. He was surprised by Overbury, the chief warder, and murdered him. No doubt our thief has hidden the loot elsewhere. Yes, but Holmes, how is he going to get it out of the tower? Every gate and entrance is guarded. Yes, quite, Watson, quite. Perhaps we can tree our quarry by closing in with a rigid room-by-room -room search. You have the personnel to conduct this kind of search, Major Markham? Of course. And I shall order it to begin immediately. Excellent. Come, Watson. Where to, Holmes? First, to Baker Street. There's a bit of research I must do there, specifically on a certain new discovery in Vienna. After that, we shall go to Downing Street. It's high time we gave the Prime Minister a report on our findings. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson... I have left an emergency meeting of the inner cabinet to see you, and I pray that you have good news. Be of good cheer, Lord Bellinger. We've made considerable progress. I'm almost positive of the identity of the vandal who stole the jewels. Ah, but the jewels, the crown jewels, where are they? It is imperative that they be recovered soon, Mr. Holmes. 
Already rumors are sweeping London. The news has somehow leaked out, in spite of the fact that the newspapers have not printed a word of the story. The Foreign Secretary and the Home Secretary are in a state of agitation, not to mention the Bank of England itself. We must find the crown jewels, Mr. Holmes, and soon we must. Patience, Lord Bellinger, patience. If I'm not wrong in my analysis of events yet to come, we shall close this case and recover the crown jewels tonight. Tonight, Holmes, you mean you know where they're hidden? No, but I expect someone else will find them for me. And when he does, you and I will be waiting to receive them. You mean inside the tower? On the contrary, Watson. I mean outside the tower. Clock, Holmes. Yes. Why the deuce are we standing outside this tower? No one can get in or out without being challenged by a guard. Anyway, it's cold enough out here by the river wall to chill the marrow of a man's bones. Why this tower, Watson, the dead of night? Because, Watson, I expect the purloiner of the crown jewels to put in an appearance at any moment. Like the cornered fox, the hounds close in, and he must break away before it's too late. But, Ashid, I don't understand her. Watson. Eh? What is it? Look at that window, high in the tower. Oh, there's a man crawling through the window, under that small rampart. Yes, and note, there's a bag slung over his shoulder. Yes, you're right, sir. But the juice Watson, is... quick, shrink back into the shadow here. Well, what, what is the point? Someone just lit a match over there at the far end of the river wall. Obviously a signal. You mean he's a confederate? He is indeed, and more than that, he's the brains behind this extraordinary coup. One of the cruelest and most brilliant criminals of a generation, Colonel Sebastian Moran. What? Colonel Moran? But look, look, Holmes on the rampart. He's flinging the sack out into the river. Yes. It's landed in the water. Yes, sir. Watson, look over there at Colonel Moran. He has a rifle. Yes, he's pointing it at the man up there. Ah! He's been hit. He's falling, Holmes. Ah! Quick, Watson, after him. Uh, Hope, Moran. Oh! Holmes, he's raising his gun. Quick, your revolver. Good shot, Watson. You winged him in the arm. He dropped his gun. Halt, Moran! He's running along the river wall. Oh, I missed him, Cassius. There's this darkness here. Holmes is going to dive into the Thames from the wall. There he goes! Colonel Moran made good his escape. Yes, Watson swam underwater, no doubt, and escaped in the darkness. <laughs> Man has a charmed life. Well, here we are at the spot where the sack was flung into the river from the tower window. There's that heavy sack. How can we possibly... When they drag the Thames for it, Watson, I have no doubt they'll find the sack filled to the brim with the crown jewels of England. By Jove! So the man in the tower... Was Major Markham, obviously. Major Markham? Yes. He murdered Hodgkins and the chief warder and stole the crown jewels. He did indeed. But he was only a secondary factor, an accomplice. It was the fertile brain of Colonel Sebastian Moran which hatched this clever scheme. And Moran shot Markham because he didn't want a share in the spoil. Precisely. Once Markham had delivered the crown jewels, Colonel Moran had no further use for him. Dropping the bag through the window was obviously a method for getting the loot out of the guarded tower. It'd be easy enough later for Colonel Moran to recover the sack with grappling iron. Oh, Dash Holmes, I confess I'm confused. The villain, as I understood it, was a bogus guard named Digby. 
The blotchy, puffed-up white face. Precisely, Watson. But Digby and Major Markham were one and the same man. What? An ingenious trick of double identity. You remember the globule of paraffin we found in Markham's quarters? Oh, yes. It came from a hypodermic needle. A new medical technique recently discovered in Vienna by injecting hot paraffin into the face. It's possible to change the facial contours and the shape of the features completely. The deuce, you say? Thus, Markham transformed himself to a puffy, white-faced guard and dubbed himself Digby. He came out of his office, killed Hodgkins, stole the crown jewels and hid them. Then he returned to his quarters and took a hot bath at the rather unusual hour of four o'clock in the morning. Holmes, you mean the hot bath? Quite. The paraffin oozes out of the pores when subjected to warm vapor and hot water. And by this method, Digby became Markham again. And all the while, the official police were looking for a puffy, white-faced man. <laughs> yes. No wonder they didn't find him, since he never really existed. <laughs> Holmes, I must congratulate you on a brilliant piece of work. Well, I suppose now we shall inform the Prime Minister that the crown jewels lie at this spot, the bottom of the Thames, and can easily uh, be recovered. Eh? Exactly. But for myself, the case is not yet closed. Uh, what do you mean? Oh. Colonel Sebastian Moran is still at large. But someday we shall meet again. And next time, Watson, I promise you we shall settle our account for good. And did Holmes settle that account finally, Dr. Watson? He did indeed, Mr. Harris. He finally brought Moran down in another adventure, the case of the empty house. I might add that Colonel Sebastian Moran was considered the best rifle shot in India, and his feat in shooting Major Markham off that tower rampart was an exceptional bit of marksmanship. Well, Dr. Watson, it, it's certainly been an exciting case. And now can you tell us something about next week's story? Next week, Mr. Harris, I shall relate to you the famous adventure of the speckled band. It concerns an iron safe, a whistle in the night, and a bed that couldn't be moved. The makers of Clippercraft clothes and more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the program is produced and directed by Basil Luckman. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Felton. This week's story was written by Max Ehrlich, with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes, in the adventure of the Speckled Band. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clipper Craft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. In just a moment, you'll hear Behind the Front Page. For non-stop service to Jacksonville, call Eastern Airlines. Fly to Jacksonville nonstop in three hours and 11 minutes. For immediate reservations, call Eastern Airlines. This is WOR, New York.
Welcome back. Uh, well, we will go ahead and they bring in Sebastian uh, Moran. Uh, this one was uh, kind of interesting. I did have an, uh, uh, an inkling that that guard was fake. I, I think any time you're dealing with Sherlock Holmes and our expectations of him, it's really hard to find the right sort of villain. You can't just use the type of villains that show up on uh, every other detective show. So it requires a little bit of a finesse, and it's it's a challenge. Um, and so you do understand, I, I do understand why they uh, keep going back to the uh, original series and taking uh, not only Moriarty, but uh, now Sebastian Moran. All right, well, now we turn to a story at digitaldellaftp.com. Um, they have, uh, episode logs of, uh, uh, around 500 programs. Some of them we use, some of the programs, um, I don't know when they're going to have episode logs, but, uh, they have some good information there. And one of their latest features is their, uh, definitive, uh, Tales of Fatima, uh, log. And uh, they include this uh, article in there by John Crosby. And uh, one thing he addressed, because a lot of folks have noticed the uh, similarity between uh, Tom Stanley and uh, uh, not only Tom Stanley, but uh, John Stanley and Tom Conway, the similarity of voice. Uh and uh, Rathbone, uh, according to John Crosby, he said he didn't take too kindly to this imitation of him. I resent intensely the way they imitate what we did, as well as give the impression I'm still on the program. It's too bad there isn't a law against plagiarizing a man's voice. Rathbone claims he still gets hundreds of letters from people congratulating him on his performance last night as Sherlock Holmes, which he hasn't played uh, for three years. And uh, th there's some other interesting insights in this article. Uh, and uh, the lead is a very amusing quote. He said, I had to get away or Sherlock Holmes would have absorbed me completely. William Gillette, who played Holmes for roughly a generation on the stage, finally built himself a big house full of trapdoors and things and went around in a cap and cape like Holmes. Holmes is too big for anybody. Um, and the other thing that he re re revealed, uh, it doesn't make into a lot of the contemporary accounts we mainly get with Sherlock Holmes, uh, that he was tired of, uh, with uh, Basil Rathbone and Sherlock Holmes, that he was tired of playing the character. Uh, he actually said he would be willing to do Sherlock Holmes, uh, provided uh, that they move the program to New York, uh, and they refused to do it. Um, and, uh, the, the way he, uh, uh, the way that he, uh, put it, he said, they thought I'd back like, back, uh, uh, be back like a bad little boy. Um, I told them it'd have to be in the East. They thought I couldn't leave all those oranges. If they knew how I loathed oranges. And so if they'd been willing to move the show to New York, Rathbone would have stayed with them. Of course, the big ironic thing is, is that after one season in California, they did go ahead and move the show to New York. So, uh, it, it really doesn't make one think. I mean, if you had had Rathbone Bruce the entirety 
the last two and a half seasons, I think it would have made a, a big difference in the show. Would have commanded higher ratings, uh, higher budgets with better writers. Uh, what might have been? I guess that leads me into listener comment on episode 739, The Well-Advertised Murder. Michael O'Brien says, Oh dear, I don't mind John Stanley as Holmes, but the script is on the feeble side. Not one of the best. Think? Could have been different if they'd only been willing to move to New York uh, one year early. Oh, well, all right. Well, uh, that will do it for uh, today. Uh, join us on uh, Friday for yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and uh, then back here on Thursday for another uh, episode of Sherlock Holmes. Send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Facebook at Radio Detectives, and give us a call 208-991-4783. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.